Welcome to The Strategic Marketer, where we talk about strategies, tactics, and practical steps to help you become a better marketer. I'm your host, Joseph Lewin, and today's episode is with Patrick Hanlon. Patrick is the author of Primal Branding and The Social Code. He's also the founder of primalbranding.co, and he works with billion-dollar brands and brands that would like to become billion-dollar brands. In our conversation, we're talking about what is a brand? We're, we're diving into brand and, and what it means. And then we're going to go through the primal code, which is Patrick's framework for how to create brands that really stand out, the, the kinds of brands that, um, that, that build a tribe around them, that other people want to be associated with, even if, they, even if they don't buy the products, they want to be associated with them. And so without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with Patrick. What is a brand? Just kind of let's level set and get a good idea because there's definitely different ideas on what it is. And um, I, I really like your perspective on it. Yeah, it's it's pretty fuzzy, isn't it? Uh, most of the time, uh, creating a brand is a little bit like molding fog. And um, so what we look at brands as, as are belief systems. Once you create a belief system, you put into play all of the things that attract people to brand communities, uh, whether they're fans or advocates or customers or um, citizens, right? And so the uh, because we create a lot of things, our brands that we don't, a lot of communities are brands that we don't really consider them to be, you know, uh, Coca-Cola, Nike, Amazon, Starbucks, whatever. And the, um, and so that's really the the enlightening piece of this, for me anyway, has been that we belong to lots of different communities, uh, some of which, many of which are branded. Someone once said that uh, a brand is anything that we give a name to. And mm. that's pretty interesting because one of the projects that we're working on right now is a um, neurological condition and it doesn't have a name like ADD or autism or Asperger's or um, one of the others. And so so they can't treat it. They can't identify it. <laughs> Parents don't know what it is. Doctors don't know how to identify it. Uh, they can't, so they can't build therapies or medications for it. And most of all, insurance won't pay for it. And so um, it's very interesting, the fact that we something does not it really exist until it does have a name. Like COVID, you know, COVID was just some crazy flu, flu that was coming out of China. And all of a sudden they gave it a name, COVID-19, right? Yeah. 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 And so, uh, and it's interesting how Omicron has uh, <laughs> kind of like it came out of name lab or something. They were prepared for that one. But the, um, yes. So when we uh, give something a name, uh, it sort of becomes a brand and has all of the elements of a brand community that we prescribe. I mentioned this a bunch of times on the podcast, but I live in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. P&G is based out of here. Home of branding. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, a lot of the marketing people I first started to run into, they're all about brand. Yeah. And I think I kind of got turned off some to some of the ideas of branding because they're so extreme about it that it's like, okay, you're going to run a Super Bowl commercial. So you get brand awareness and you're spending millions and millions of dollars to produce it, get it on the air. Mm -hmm. But 
you could take that same amount of money and put it into campaigns that are going to be far more effective that you're not using right now. And this was back when a lot of them weren't really using social media and they 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 weren't really taking advantage of some of these other channels where they could get more directly to the customer. And so it kind of frustrated me a little bit. But now I'm kind of coming back around a little bit and seeing how maybe not quite as far as some of them go, but um, you know, the value of brand and the value of building that trust ahead of time in yeah. the market, you know, and all these ideas. And I think um, that's it, it's important to uh sorry I stepped on you, but I think that it's important to point out that especially P and G in Cincinnati. Um, people, there was something that started happening in the uh, 2000s, I suppose, maybe earlier, 1990s. Uh, and that is, is that people started talking about big brands. They started talking about Nike. They started talking about Apple. They started talking about care, brands that we actually cared about. And people were pointing to um, the Nike, um, people having a, sort of a re- almost religious uh, fervor for Nike. And uh, they talk about the Nike tribes and the Apple cults and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so then it became popular to be become a, a brand, a popular brand. And there was popularity and devotion and some emotion and some love, brand love. You know, there's a book about brand love that came out. And so the um, during that space in time, everyone, of course, wanted to become a brand. Even yeah. though, and so they would call them, so change themselves from the, the marketing team or the product team um, to the brand team, hmm. you know. And so then, all, you know, you're, this is part of the brand team. We sell something, toilet paper dishwashing detergent uh whatever that doesn't don't really connote the same sensibilities as an apple or a nike or coca-cola or you know name something and the uh lady gaga and so the they but they wanted to become brands and so they uh heightened their self-esteem a bit little bit by calling themselves a brand team and i think that um in connection with the um fervid consumerism that also went on at the same during that time that the two things became sort of the evolved into this uh nasty thing called brand that some people want and adore and others kind of sheer away sheer away from and brandlessness or the unbrand and things like that and brandless And so, and actually calling their own brand brandless, right? And so the the because um, that is a brand unto itself, also, yeah, yeah. Or it was they don't exist anymore, but it didn't work out. I guess but it didn't the, work out. <laughs> but the um, and I think that that's the root of what we're trying to get at. Because what I was really looking at when I wrote Primal Branding is uh, I was asked myself the question: Why do we care about some products and services and don't really care about others? Uh, and the companies who make them and not about others. And so I really looked at the powerful brands, the ones that we've already mentioned, and started to look for similarities. The same principles apply. You're still trying to convince someone that your product is more desirable than someone else. And so when you weave this story together with the seven pieces of code, which are the creation story, the creed, icons, rituals, uh, sacred words or lexicon, non-believers and leader, you are able to create a powerful narrative, what we yeah. call a strategic brand narrative. And it works as well in uh, consumer and packaged goods and so forth as it does in B2B. 
We also use it, by the way, um, for politics and for building places and people, places and things. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's basically tying a bunch of really important pieces of marketing together. You know, you're people talk about brand building and I think, you know, to, to just kind of tie a bow on that whole part of the conversation that we, that we were talking about earlier, brand ends up becoming like the color scheme and the logo and, you know, the yeah. look and feel typography. And, and it's like, well, those things do matter, you know, and those might fit into like icons or sacred words or, you know, some of those other pieces, but it's really only one piece of it. But if you're really going to have a, a lasting brand, you have to build trust and loyalty and there has to be a certain clarity that when somebody sees, you know, you, even a, a blurred out version of of your icon, not even seeing the words, you know, you you recognize McDonald's and Starbucks and Coca-Cola. Yeah. If their logos are blurred like 80 percent or something, you, most yeah. people still recognize them. And not only do we recognize them, but it also there's tons of associations with that. Even, you know, if you have memories that go back with your family eating at McDonald's or drinking a Coke, around, you know, with your friends just seeing that blurred out logo brings that. So it, it brings They're multidimensional. That. And actually the uh, icons, the images um, are really um, sensory things and they're deeply um, yeah, embedded in our brains. Yeah, so that brings a certain level of, of trust. Um, so you, you get, you know, the, the icons and elements and, and, um, and you know those different pieces of, of branding that people would associate with branding in your color scheme and and fonts and all of that brand that voice does, yeah brand yeah, values those, those things help uh, to bring to bring the pieces together but those lasting brands there's a lot more to that you know and so like you're saying those those have the the creation story and how it came to be and then you know the the why or the creed you know and these uh, then the icons are part of it but then you also have rituals and so that might for Coca-Cola, that might be, you know, sitting around with friends and you're uh, pulling Coke out on Friday nights and you, you know, open it up and there's this ritual around doing that. And then the brand the can create those rituals too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Coke and smile. And the um, the rituals are are really important. And the um, and all of these pieces are, by the way, can be subjects for television advertising or or Instagram for that matter. And it depends what category you're in, of course, and what um, what people respond to. Yeah, and I think the pagans is an interesting one too, because or non-believers, because that's like the. I think that's a real uh, a real key to differentiate brands from just companies, because I mean, it, well, you it's can't really build a, funny a big differentiation of. It's telling people what we're not and what we don't want to become. And it's also, um, I used to think that we just wanted to, um, I mean, the burger wars, the color wars and all that. I grew up during that. And then Mac versus uh, PCs, you know, yep. and all of that. And I just thought that we as human beings needed something to bang our heads against. against. Yep. But the, um, but in fact, the non-believer part of it is, has been one of the most relevant and interesting of all of them because um, it can help you identify gaps in the marketplace mm. and it can if you can discover a group of people who um, who don't want like to eat meat you can create meatless products right, right? and which are finally catching on if you can create uh, discover a group of people who can't eat sugar you can create sugar free and so forth so the the those and then, that's at the on the product 
design level. But on the uh, another level, if you can, if someone's stuck as some uh, startups, you know, pivot so many times that they're lost. Some big companies have wandered so far away from who they were, they can't yeah. find their way back again. And so what we do do is use the non-believers thing. Um, you know, would you like to be this? No, we don't want to, we wouldn't be like that. How about this mm. over here? No, that doesn't feel right. How about this over here? Uh, no, it's not us, et cetera, et cetera, until you finally can get them back to, oh yeah, that, well, maybe. <laughs> That sounds like a little bit like yes, yeah. or that's spot on. You know, that's yes, that's what we're looking for. And then you can start there, and then work your way back out, right? And so that helps. Yeah, and having those non-believers, it really is a differentiator because, um, you know, you you have these safe brands that always kind of just stick to. Um, they're afraid to upset people. They're afraid to kind of create that differentiation. But then they just are perceived as being a vendor, you know, and you go to those types of companies mm -hmm. when you're trying to get the cheapest price or you're trying to not risk, you know, put your career on the line. And so you go with the established brand that's kind of blah that, so that you don't, you know, get fired. But that's not the kind of company that the is going to... The non-controversial brand, yeah. Yeah, product, so, you know, those brands business. get business because people are afraid to take risks and... But that's not the kind of company that when you bring them Which in, it's the going to change your career. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you days. on that one. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, the non-believer, when you see a company that has people that absolutely hate them, <laughs> you yeah. know that they've, they're doing something right and actually creating raving fans. And the interesting thing is also just because somebody is a non-believer now doesn't mean that they always will be. And before it's, it's actually interesting that's because true. when we yeah. were having a just brief conversation before you mentioned the Apostle Paul and, you know, I'll let you kind of go on that for a second, but he was a non-believer, right? And then he has this experience um, and, you know, he's on the road to Damascus and he has this, this yeah. uh, experience and then he becomes the most bought in of all of the the early Christian disciples who's, you know, kind of going out and, and the most, the, the, big, the greatest zealot the was actually of, of all he, the, yeah. originally a non-believer. So kind of interesting. Yeah, what Joseph is referring to is someone once told me that I haven't done anything that St. Paul didn't do. And um, in the primal code that was set up. The, um, but yes, there was uh, someone uh, who um, told me that he goes, he went after his non-believers to try to convince them of why he was right. And, and it worked for him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was mm. sort of uh, brazen. But I think that the role of companies today is, uh, especially with all of the social media and the um, you know, fake news and things like that, not, I'm not getting political, because my point here is that um, you can, the, the role of a company is to really feed people the facts. And so because people are going to talk, you know, it's the old PR saying people are going to talk and you might not like what they say, but your advocates will come out in favor of you. Your advocates mm. will, as long as you're feeding them what's going on and they're not feeding them, giving them knowledge and information, they, they will defend you or set people straight on their own. And yeah. that takes the weight off of you. So that's a, a great 
aspect of this is that um, is understanding your role in the new marketplace, which is really not to tell people that the pyramid top down, you know, here's what you should think about our products and our services. Yes, you have to do that in the sense of you want people to know that you're using seven millimeter screws instead of four right. millimeter or something, right? You have to give them the, the, the rights, make sure people understand the right specs and the abilities of your product. Uh, the features and, uh, and and even the benefits of, of what you're all about, right. of course. But what you is not going to help you is the f- fact that nine out of ten people, eight out of ten people think that whatever comes from the company, the corporation, is of course lying. You know, in some right. in some ways, and yep. it might be or at least li- at least spin. You know, at the very yeah, least, it, it might be. Uh, it could be spin. It could be an outright lie. It could be um, just your version of the truth. You know, salesman salesmanship, right? And so the which is like spin, I guess, in some ways. In some ways, it's not. But anyway, <laughs> but but that um, from that standpoint, then. You know they disavow anything you have to say, but if you can feed it to your advocates who love you anyway, then they'll do that for you. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So, yeah, and I think this, these elements of the primal branding that you're talking about, it helps you to have, I mean, what those do is it, get, it brings a framework for how other people can perceive you and how they should perceive you. And you're giving them language and rituals and, and icons and highlighting the pagans. And all of those things bring clarity around your brand. And the more yeah. clear something is, the more the people understand it, they can either say, yes, that's me, or mm-hmm. no, it's not. And that helps you to ultimately win in the market because even though you have people that are then saying no, at least the people who really are going to love what you do, they know what they're saying yes to and they can understand it and they trust it. And and these elements give, um, they give the framework for being able to do that. Whereas without these elements, it just becomes fuzzy. You know, you get that corporate website where it just says, you know, we have turnkey enterprise solutions that, you know, whatever. Yeah, all uh, the buzzwords, right? And so, yes, you're right. I mean, this is a systematic approach. Someone told me it's the root code for building authentic brands, authentic purpose-driven brands. And the um, there's some buzzwords in there. But the uh, real thing is that it is systematic and you can um, work on, it also tells you where to, systematic in the sense that it tells you where to put things. For example, um, your creation story, where does that go? You know, and uh, does it go on the website? Does it go on the back of the package? Yes, yes. Does it go on uh, Instagram? I don't know, maybe not. (laughs) And and so you can start, where does the creed go and all these things? And so how do we talk about our product? You know, where does that go? What kind of things can we say about it? And um, so it goes, that goes in PR, by the way. And so the, it gives you some handholds and you understand that, Oh, by the way, we haven't talked about our leader this, you know, this month (laughs) or for six months, you know, and that's, 
Now we laugh, but that's how brands get stale and uh, yeah. become Sears and uh, or name another company that's going away or has gone away. And so that's how you become irrelevant. Um, yeah. And, but when this is really a way to give you some handholds and so that you can get things like trust, vision, confidence, set of values, um, relevance, resonance, uh, and all these things that other companies spend, you know, billions of dollars trying to, in yeah. advertising and so forth, hundreds of millions to billions of dollars over time uh, in, in advertising and marketing spend. And you don't need any money to do this. And so it's a great tool for startups. Uh, we won a, um, a, an award in 2016 for a um, conservancy camp in Kenya. Um, we won the gold award for ecotourism. And all we did was use the seven pieces of code. Mm. We got uh, Grant Richards at the Richards Group, formerly of the, of the Richards Group. He has his own company, but uh, did the logo and and uh, some someone else um, did some PR, did some wrote some articles, and we beat all the um, airlines, tourism boards. That's awesome, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and all of their millions of dollars. Yeah, and I want to finish off by all the blanks. Yeah, I want to finish off by helping to make this really practical for people and, and giving them an example or two of of. Primal branding in action. But one last thing I want to say about about the um, the primal code and our primal branding and the and the different elements, what they help you do. I think they also help you to figure out who to focus on. And it's not even necessarily always the buyer. It's who are going to be the advocates that influence the buyer. And maybe mm -hmm. that person isn't isn't ever going to be somebody who purchases. But if you only look at you know the the things uh, uh, that you could follow in the buyer's journey and um, some of these you know phrases that we use in marketing where you're focusing very heavily on attribution, the things that are attributable, the, the decision makers, you know, all these things are important. But if that's where your focus is, um, you might be missing out on the people who actually have the most influence. Whereas if you get clear on these elements and you start having people who advocate about you and you focus on them, those people influence other people who make the decisions. And if you can win over the advocates because you're clear, um, then you can actually get people to move who might not otherwise. And you know, we work with engineers quite often at my company and they can be really hard to get engineers to move. But if you can mm -hmm. find the advocates who influence the engineer, that's probably gonna be more effective in the long run than trying yeah. to influence the engineer themselves. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. And people talk about you know, how certain brands have a halo, you know, the halo effect. And this is really how you get establish that halo effect. And the, um, because you in today's world, people are much more inclined to to uh, go along with their friends and look to their friends for uh, advice and su support and to advocate their own decision making. Making right, and so mm. um, you always fight with this notion of people want to try what other people have already tried, right? And so the. Um, uh, this helps get around that in some ways through through story. It is through storytelling. We hear a lot about storytelling, but stories have to be told in the right way and they have to have the right ingredients. And often they have to be told at the right time. I'd love to hear a real world example of, of um, you know, somebody or, or a company using Primal branding. And I know you mentioned the Chosen series and how they've raised money. So, you know, maybe you could give just a kind of an idea of what they were trying to do, what the challenge was and how they used 
um, yeah, and again, how they I, use your process. Yeah, and I think the best part about this is that I wasn't involved in this. So this is someone else, Daryl Eves, who is a um, he's a YouTuber and he's also a Primal and he uses Primal branding. He tells uh, other YouTubers how to use Primal branding, and he has done this. He's come out with a new book from uh, Wiley and Sons, and uh, which is a great, as you know, business publishing. They publish publish business books. And um, he goes into great detail how to use YouTube, how YouTube started, you know, as a dating site, for example. And uh, Daryl at the time was just trying to get his uh, clients up on the first page in Google. And what he noticed was that, uh, well, he noticed a lot of things, but one of the things he noticed is that those companies that had YouTube videos were getting ranked up on the first page. And mm. so, oh, let me look at that. And he's curious and smart. And so he started looking into YouTube and became a very um, ardent YouTuber and uh, works with YouTube all the time in order to see what's going on. Uh, primal branding is required reading at YouTube. And so naturally uh, it fell into his lap. And so um, Daryl used uh, Primal as the framework for a new um, show that he was trying to produce and uh, he was going to have a crowd funded. And so what he did is he uh, pulled his people together and he said, read this book. Uh, it's too complicated for me to explain, but you read it, you'll get it right away. It's easy. And um, so they did, they came back and they got in a room and uh, they uh, started talking about, okay, you know, why are we here? What's our create? What is our own creation story? And so mm. they started telling that and some of that they put on film or video. And, uh, you know, in terms of the creed, they started going through the creed. What are our icons? And they were able to successfully remember this is a systematic process, right? They were successfully able to uh, create the first media crowdfunding, the biggest, excuse me, media crowdfunding um, raise in history, which was over $10 million, largest wow. ever. So, uh, and then they used that $10 million to create a streaming series. Um, uh, it's on YouTube and it's on an app. They have their own app. It's called the, the Chosen. So get the Chosen app. And um, it's about the life of Jesus um, as told by those who knew him. And mm. so it's a fabulous show. It's very well produced. It's as good as anything that's on Netflix. And they use uh, primal branding as the sort of the uh, orchestration for that and it's architecture for that also. And so uh, the chosen, um, you don't have to believe me, it has over 120 million views. Wow. In the first in season one. And they're working right now in season two. Yeah, and it's actually kind of interesting uh, with the show. I mean, it, it is an excellent show, and I, I would definitely advise watching it. Um, and it was fun to watch as they were raising money and as they released different seasons and, and kind of watching that process. I've um, kind of been a, an observer from from afar of that, so it's fun to hear how they're how they're using Primal Branding. But then it's interesting, too, because they're making a, a video about the life of Jesus. And if you look Who through- Who already has a huge following, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I mean, if you look at at the life of Jesus and his teachings, 
every single thing that's in primal branding is is part of that and uh, you know we don't have to go through that at the moment but i mean if you were to read through the gospels well, and read through the life of jesus it's pretty much the <laughs> only thing is somebody who, who had primal yeah, branding the only thing i should say is that my editor at um, simon and schuster said i i mentioned to him you know uh apple cults and nike tribes and and he said Something about, and I mentioned that you know people have mentioned there's sort of a religious thing going on here, and he said stay away from religion. Uh, people <laughs> don't want to hear about religion. <laughs> so I always yeah. have stayed away away from religion, uh, and um, I was kind of I don't know um, taken aback, I guess, when someone said told me that well you you've just done haven't done anything that Saint Paul didn't do, and then it circles back to Daryl and his and the chosen thing. So it's it's uh, it's a wild thing. Yeah, no, that's a great example. Um, and yeah, so just to kind of polish off here, um, so we've talked about a lot of you know theory, and you've talked about about the different elements. And I highly recommend if you found anything interesting of what we were talking about today on the podcast to go get Primal Branding and read it. It's, it's an awesome book. Um, but w- what are some really practical Thanks, takeaways? Joseph. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, the real practical takeaway is that brands are belief systems, and once you create a belief system, you create um, you attract those who others who share your beliefs. And the other thing is that we are hardwired as human beings to gather. The real mystery then or question is how do we get them to gather around you? And this is mm. what primal branding and the social and uh, the code, the primal code um, accomplish. Naturally. Yeah. And, and in so a very maybe natural way. If all you're focusing on is how do we help our sales team meet next month's quota? Not that you, that's not part of your equation, but if that's all you're focusing on, you're missing out on the ability to be able to create raving fans and advocates and through using some of these elements. Um, and this is a question that I actually haven't ever asked somebody before, but you have tons of experience in the marketing space and advertising and, you know, helping all these big brands and coming up with this framework. So what is one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's just starting out in marketing or maybe they're, you know, kind of in the first couple of years of working as a marketer, what's one piece of advice that, that you would give them? Oh, I used to say this as a joke, but <laughs> it's it, over with a lot after having a lot of experience, more experience, I guess. Uh, I know that it's not, it's actually true. And that is that the number one rule of marketing is that nobody cares. And you, um, I mean, if you're in a startup, even your mother doesn't care. You know, she's waiting for you to get a real job. You know, when are you going to get a real job? And so <laughs> the um, so the point is, though, that um, it's our job as marketers to help make people care. And so mm-hmm. how do we do that? And we do that um, through pulling together a story that satisfies not only the natural uh, parts of our brain, um, the rational, excuse me, the rational parts of our brain, but the uh, also the emotional things. And we used to, in advertising especially, try to keep those two things separate. Um, mm. We were always going after, you know, the what's the rational reason for buying this and figure out some way of dramatically demonstrating that rational piece. Um, we could do emotional ads too, but we'd ha- you know reserve those for well Hallmark, <laughs> some kinds of beer, and uh, and the Super Bowl. Right. And so the um, fundraising for like the SPCA or, or, or fundraising, <laughs> fundraising for butterflies or something. Yeah. Save the butterflies. Yeah. And so the 
Um, we knew that it worked. We just wanted, didn't want to do it for our product. Let someone else do that. But in fact, you know that the best arguments are both rational and emotional at the same time combined. And for some reason, whatever reason it is, you know, I didn't make this up. It's, it's always existed. Um, I did recognize it and saw the pattern and uh, put it on paper. But when you go through the primal code and can tell people, here's where this is from. Here's why it exists. Um, here's why it's different. Here's how you know it's what it is. Um, you can identify it. Here's how you use it, um, which is also different. Here's the language that we use to describe it. Here's what it's not. Mm. doesn't want to become. Here's the team that's leading it. You've just pulled together a very, you know, conversational story uh, that will make help people lean in and make them choose you, prefer you, rather than the person who came in before you, after you, or the product that's sitting next to you on the shelf or on the website. Yeah, I, I love that. That That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it, I should just end the show right now, but there's one last thing that I want to say because it just popped on my mind because you mentioned Start With Why, and it is a great book. I love it. It's definitely helped to shift my thinking in certain areas, but I feel like it also kind of falls flat in that it, it ends up being very ethereal and, and not very practical, I feel like, in a lot of ways. And even he wrote a book to try to help people discover their why. And I don't think that book was very good at all because it almost made it even more confusing about how do you figure out what your why is, you know, and how, how do you do that? Whereas I feel like what you've done in Primal Branding is if you can go through these elements and figure them all out, that's how you actually can establish your why. And maybe you're still discovering it, but I feel like going well, through these elements is <clears throat> is very practical and, and kind of helps bring more solidity to the ideas that Simon Sinek is sharing about. Uh, thank you. I mean, I think so. I think that the the question of why do we exist, why do we, why are we here, why do we go to work in the morning, uh, is an important one. It's but it's only one of seven pieces, and uh, to leave any of those pieces out leaves an opening for your competitor to fill that space. And um, a lot of people get um, comfortable. And they think that they don't have to keep reminding people um, of how they, you know, came to be or why they exist or um, some of the other pieces. And, oh, people already know that. Well, there's a new generation coming up every couple of years that doesn't know that if you're not telling yeah. them. And so it's your job to really to keep on track and to make sure that people um, are hearing about you as frequently as possible. And you can see that happening with, um, you know, brands like Nike, Apple, et cetera, Amazon and so forth. Absolutely. And we hear about them, something about them every day, even if it's from a friend. Yeah. Or an enemy, you know, even if it's, it yeah. might even be from the pagans, you know, yeah, the non-believers, exactly. you might, yeah. you might even hear about them from them. So yeah. your non-believers sometimes become some of the biggest evangelists because of their negativity and they bring attention to what you're doing. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, I can keep talking to you all night, uh, but I don't want to keep you too much longer. So thank you so much for joining the show today. It's, it's really fun. And uh, again, really appreciate uh, your book and you taking time to come on. Oh, thanks for reading the book. It's been fun to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to The Strategic Marketer wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could do me a personal favor and hit five stars on the rating, you don't have to leave a full review, just hit five stars. It would really help me out. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Strategic Marketer. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, for centuries, the ultra-wealthy have been putting their money where their mouths are by investing in fine wine. And now, with Vint, you can do that too. At Vint, we offer SEC-qualified investment opportunities of fine wine and spirits curated by our experts with portfolio managers. With Vint, you can invest and diversify into the most sought-after assets that have a history of price appreciation. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co.